might you use this? Is this working or not? Yes, use this, okay. Very good. So uh, the kids are headed back to school tomorrow. And uh, it got me to thinking about um, how teams are chosen in the schoolyard. Do you remember this if you're not in the schoolyard anymore? So kids, you guys that are in school, let me ask you a question. For your soccer team, would you rather pick the kid that stinks at soccer, like I did when I was growing up, who whiffs at the ball and falls on his rear end when he tries to kick it, or the kid that plays club soccer? You don't have to answer, it's okay. I know in your heart what you will answer. Adults, you think of the same question, only a little differently. If you're choosing a team to start a business, would you, would you choose the Harvard business grad with a gold-plated portfolio, or would you choose the manager of the local McDonald's who just got his GED? Well, we usually pick proven winners, don't we? We like to think that if we were to have the team, we would, we would be able to see and pick who is, the ch who is the proven winner, choose them for our team so that we can also be winners, right? Given the choice, uh, most people would pick Messi over me for a game of pickup soccer, I think. Uh, most people would pick Warren Buffett over me to give them advice about running a business. But God, however, doesn't usually work that way. He chooses the weak things of the world, the weak people in this world to confound the wise and the strong of the world. Does that offend you, I wonder, in a college town full of very intellectual people, people who are trying to make something of themselves? Does it offend you that God chooses the weakness of this world to shame the strong and the wise, to confound them? Because God says uh, in, in the Bible that the wisdom and strength of the world is foolishness and weakness to God. Sometimes he, he uses the gold-plated resume, the person with the gold-plated resume, he, but most of the time he doesn't. He uses the failures and the broken. And many times when God does choose to use weak people, the weak people of this world, to do his work, they are afraid. Because why? Because they know they're weak. They, they know they aren't up to the task of what God has chosen them to do. So if someone chose me to play soccer against Messi, I would say, no way. I, I would say, find somebody else. I'm not interested in putting my weakness on display. And if I had to guess, I would say, neither are you. However, in the Christian life, that is exactly what God chooses to do. God uses your weaknesses so that he might spotlight his glory. God will use, and this is going to be, this is going to be what we're after this morning. This is going to be sort of the sentence we're, we're going to be pursuing. God will use the weaknesses you fear the most to spotlight his glory the best. And he shows us that in Exodus 6, uh, 10 through 30. You can turn there. This, uh, this morning, we're, we're, we're continuing our, the story of the book of Exodus, our sermon series in the book of Exodus. 
And, uh, and this morning, we come, to, we come to actually a genealogy. We come to a genealogy that I think shows us this very thing, that God will use the weaknesses you fear the most to spotlight his glory the best. Spotlight his glory best. And he does it through a genealogy. So we're just going to talk about uh, Moses' weaknesses. Moses highlights his weakness as a reason for failure in the mission that God has for him. And then God highlights his glory by working through the weakness of man. Those are just going to be our two points. Moses' weakness, God's glory. So let's just set the context for where we're at. We're back in Exodus 6, and, and, and we're, we're talking about uh, a man and a people uh, who, were, who were in a specific country called Egypt. So this man, Moses, uh, you'll remember the story that uh, the children of Israel were in Egypt. They were saved alive by Joseph because of uh, his governance over that place during a famine. And then the children of Israel grew, and they made Pharaoh very afraid. And then, and then, and then Pharaoh actually in, enslaved these people and made them suffer under, under hard labor. So Moses is part of this people of Israel. And then, and then Pharaoh actually uh, commits genocide. He, he wants all of the, the baby, male babies to die because he doesn't want them to raise up an army and fight Egypt and lose. And so he says all the babies need to die. Moses is saved alive. He's delivered through the, through the waters of the Nile River uh, because of his mom making a little basket and saving him alive. And, and, and we see through the book of Exodus so far that God chose Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. And so the people of, e- the people of Israel suffered bondage and slavery to Egypt, but God knew about their suffering and prepared Moses to deliver them. You see, in, in chapter 2, Moses tried on his own and failed. If you're in Exodus, you can just flip two pages over. And uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and he looked that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? And the man answered him, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses knew. I'm trying to deliver these people, but they don't want it. And now Pharaoh knows, so he has to, he has to hightail it out of Egypt. And he's in the wilderness for, for 40 years. And now he's around the age of 80. And God, has call, God called him to be their deliverer. Remember, in chapter 3 and 4, he called him from a burning bush. And he said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, that sounds cool, but I'm not interested. And, and in chapter 4, he gives Moses these powerful signs to show before Pharaoh. And Moses is like, yeah, but I can't really do it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too weak. I tried, and I failed, and I'm done. And then Moses goes before Pharaoh with Aaron, and they do all the signs. We actually, they go before the people first. They do all the signs. The people believe and worship. And then he goes before Pharaoh and does it, and Pharaoh's like, get out of here, man. 
And he, and, he, and, he makes, and he makes it harder on the children of Israel and not better. And Moses is like, look, God, how many times do I have to fail before you realize I can't do this? And Moses is consumed by his own weakness and failure. He tells God, no. I tried and I failed. And Moses writes in chapter 6, verse 9, Moses told the people everything God wanted him to tell them. He ends up obeying. But the people of Israel did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And how does Moses respond? Well, I'm afraid he responds much the same way I would respond when things don't go according to plan. Exodus chapter 6, verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to the, let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And, and then Moses writes something surprising, verse 14. A list of names. These are the heads of their fathers' houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Josar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, Merari. The years of life of Levi, 137 years. The sons of Gershom, Libni, Shimei, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izahar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elsheba, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Ibbi Asaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's house of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. One day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, 
Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? This is God's word. So, we're just going to look at two points. Moses' weakness, God's glory. Moses highlights his weakness as the reason for the failed mission. You see that. Uh, it's repeated, right, at the beginning of the section in verses 10 through 13. And then it's, it's repeated. This, the, we, we think probably the same scenario in 26 through 30. And Moses is writing this, and he's reminding everyone who reads that this is what he thought. It was his weakness that was bringing this mission of God's to an end. The reason the people of Israel didn't listen to me, Moses is saying, is because I am of uncircumcised lips. My lips don't work correctly. They're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And since my own people will not listen, why would you expect Pharaoh to listen? Doesn't that seem kind of reasonable? Seems reasonable to me. Uh, but it's not, actually. So Moses repeats this interaction, highlighting that he understood that his lack of strength was the cause for the failed mission of deliverance of God's people. It was his lack of strength. He did not yet have the eyes of faith. But he would, however, come to believe that God is not only able to work through weakness, but that weakness is God's chosen method. What did Moses mean he had uncircumcised lips? It could have been like a speech impediment or a stutter, or maybe he just think he, he just thought he didn't speak well, his, his rhetoric wasn't quite up to par. But whatever it was, Moses used the excuse to end the mission. That's what he wanted. God, it's over, don't you see? It's done, and my weakness is the failure that brought it to the end. And I, I wonder, friend, what weaknesses are you tempted to highlight in order to excuse yourself from doing what God has called you to do? Maybe we're tempted to say, you know, I, I am an introvert, so I will leave the discipling to the extroverts. But friends, God has called all of us to disciple someone in this church, if you're a member. He's, he's called all of us, if we're Christians, to share the good news with those who are outside the church, those who don't yet believe in God. And he says he will use your weakness to spotlight his glory. This is what Moses is saying. I, my uncircumcised lips, the, whatever is going on, I don't speak well, God. Those uncircumcised lips were not a problem for God. In fact, in verse 13, God never mentions them. Moses says, I'm uncircumcised lips, and God moves right on past it. What weaknesses are you tempted to highlight in your life in order to skip over what God has called you to do, the hard things God has called you to do? And God instead gives Moses and Aaron a charge about the people and about Pharaoh. And his charge is to bring the people out of the land. So while Moses is highlighting his weaknesses as the cause for the failed mission, God, God is highlighting, he's spotlighting his glory by working through that very weakness. 
because God uses the weaknesses you fear the most to spotlight his glory the best. And that brings us to our, our second point. This is going to be, hopefully, Lord willing, a shorter sermon. I always say that, and it's never true. So sorry if I'm, I lie. We're already on to point two, though, okay? So he shows, he shows this reversal to Moses in Exodus 6 through a genealogy that, you know, that Moses is saying, God, my weakness is stronger than your strength. And God is saying, look, you, you have it all backwards. I, I have this. I can, your weakness is, is not too weak for me. I'm strong enough to use it to bring glory to myself and bring my people out of Egypt. So this genealogy, you know, genealogy is like a family tree. It's a, it's a record of your parents and grandparents as far back as they kept records. Uh, so what can a list of names teach us? How boring is that, right? Just reading a list of names and then preaching on it. Who preaches a sermon on a list of names? I just want to remind you of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So God's word is, God has included this genealogy for some reason, and it's our job to figure out why. Why would he include a list of names right in the middle and interrupt this narrative? Why does he do that? And he does it because he wants to highlight the glorious things that he's going to do through the weakness of men. So what kind of people will Moses highlight in this genealogy, in his family tree? I, I dare to say there are people that we wouldn't necessarily highlight. Uh, they're the bad and the unremarkable. The, the bad, people who do bad things, and the unremarkable, or, or the ordinary, those who just like are just normal people. So I'm just going to highlight a few names here, but, you know, that says something about the, the Bible, what kind of book it is. You know, a lot of people think the Bible is, is sort of like a, a list of rules, or a, or a bunch of people that we're supposed to follow their example, and then God will like us, and then he, he'll, he'll, he will accept us. Uh, that's not what the Bible is at all. If you've ever read the Bible from cover to cover, the Bible does not sweep the sins of God's people under the rug. It actually, it, good and bad, he puts them on display in order that Jesus might be seen as more glorious and more merciful and more gracious than anyone. Jesus is the only hero of the Bible. You're tempted to, to make a hero out of, uh, out of people in the Bible. Don't do it, except for Jesus. The Bible is very honest about th the main character's sins. It doesn't try to hide the sins of God's people. The point is, is not to act like them. The, the point is to be pushed towards Jesus. So we, we may be tempted to hide the sins of our fathers, but not God. Just for example, if you, if you did some research for your family tree, and you found that 